Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Doctor Who as he travels through space and time and arrive at episode number 291, We Will Never Obey Motorized Dustbins. I'm Keith. Twitch. I'm Sean. <laughs> I won't jump the gun this week and pretend that he said I'm Twitch <laughs> like I did last week. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Twitchy. I didn't realize that until I listened back. You said I'm Keith. He said I'm Twitching, and I said I'm Glenn. We never let him introduce himself. So He's new twitching. listeners have no idea who he is until this week. He's Twitching. I think that's going to be my new shtick. I don't think I will introduce myself. I think I'm just going to be a different name every week, describing your emotion or yeah. your state of mind or your state of. I'm angry. Emotion. How come? I can't see my forehead. My dad does that to the new Starbucks employees. Gives them a new name every time he goes in. <laughs> Like your dad, uh, <laughs> he thinks it's a hoot. Why not? Turnabout's fair play. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it's, matter. I'm depends on the employee. Sometimes it's their third time, they're like, well, "Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> Weren't you so and so yesterday?" Why do you do that? Doesn't matter. They won't get it right anyway. That <laughs> too. That was mean. My apologies to any Starbucks employees out there. Did you guys do anything fun this week? I did. What'd you do, Sean? I watched Bat Soup. Both versions? Yes. <laughs> I watched it twice. So five hours worth of bat soup? Yeah. Or long Back to back. Six hours? That was fun? Yeah, well, you can find out more on our uh, our side trip, which we apparently uh, have put out. <laughs> <laughs> or will come out. Or yeah, wibbly wobbly timey wibbly you know. It's either out now up. or will be coming soon. Hopefully so. this show will release before the side trip does. But If you, if you have an interest in our mm-hmm. thoughts on Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice... Or as I like to call it, bat soup. Um, you can you can hear them on the side trip. Sean finally got a chance to see bat soup. Keith and I had already seen it, so uh, Sean decided to uh, regale us with I, I his. Broke it down. Regale us with his <laughs> reviews. So, what, what else did you did you do? Anything else? What else did I do? I um, that's a lot to do. That was a, yeah, well, <laughs> five hours. Of, um, I am in uh, somewhere in season five of Clone Wars. I watched I watched some of that, and um, we watched another movie. But now, for the life of me, I don't remember what it was. So I'm not going to talk about it. We played a lot of Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> Took over my first gym. Oh. Hey, good job! And then lost it pretty promptly. But. Yeah, I put out an alert to Team Valor to take that one down real quick. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Poke Go. Pokemon Go. Where have you been? <laughs> He's red. Oh, I thought you both were blue. No, for some no, no, I'm blue. He's red. I got kind of strong-armed into blue because everybody else I know is blue, except for Glenn I'm and Arissa. That's because he's a follower. You're green. <laughs> I am a, a follower. follower. No, I, 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 we looked at all kinds of different things, like, you know, what's your favorite color? What's this? What's this? Yeah, I'm looking at trainer silhouettes going, ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the yellow is instinct, and it's all about evolving Pokemon. And blue is intelligence, and red is strength. That's how they justify uh, it in game. And Mel and I kind of thought about it. I was like, well, well even we in like early, to think that we're more in intelligence than the others. So, Valor's more of the strong, headstrong, diehard. <laughs> I liked Chrissy's uh, post uh, on Facebook, though, comparing it to the different houses. <laughs> <laughs> and Valor was uh, Gryffindor, and Mystic was Ravenclaw. 
and uh, instinct was Hufflepuff. <laughs> and, and all then the it, haters and are. Then it said, yeah, it said Slytherin was all the haters of Pokemon Go. <laughs> so that makes you a Slytherin. I'm not a hater. He's not a hater, though. But, but you're not playing. I'm not playing, so I, I guess You got sorted in the Slytherin. Yeah. You're one of those unfortunates that didn't really want to be there, but the sorting hat went, eh. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i at level 23 now. Oh, very nice. 23. I got a, I'm I got a 17. A, I got a little boost because I did the old uh, collect. I had a bunch of lucky eggs. I had a couple of lures, and so I set up my Pokestop last night and at work because <laughs> I had to work overnight and had nothing to do and uh, launched the lucky eggs because you get double XP. And, of course, Evolving gets you the most experience, and so what I did is all week long, I just saved up all these different Pokemon that I had, the highest CP ones that I had, but all of these different, you know, Pidgeys and Rattatas and uh, Weedles and Carpies, and all these little stuff you don't even use, and I just saved up candy, and then I sat down and did a mass evolve, and it literally took me three lucky eggs to evolve everything that I had. So that's about an hour and a half worth of evolving. I watched uh, the first two episodes of Stranger Things. <gasps> what do you think of it? I like, like no, no, no. He, the, the problem is that I, as, as I've only watched two episodes is the problem. Um, ultimately, what it's come down to is it's an interesting story, and I am enjoying it. And the best thing about it is it's set in the 1980s, and it's it's done in that very early 1980s style of filmmaking. So that has been a wonderful welcome for me, especially at my age. I don't feel like the story's driving itself along well enough though i just i'm not I, I i'm interested in what's happening but i'm i'm wanting them to get somewhere somewhere and again i'm only two episodes in but there's only six or eight uh, eight I episodes i think and so i don't know where i don't i can't really come down and say hey this is a great series it's a lot of times i start a series and i go these are fantastic i'm not at that oh these are fantastic level but i'm enjoying what they're doing so far with it so. okay I think that's it. I enjoyed watching anything, anything else. else. I, I finished uh, season five of Skins. Um, kind of picked back up on that recently. Did you uh, watch any more Newsroom? Oh, that was the other thing. You were supposed <laughs> to remind me. Actually, I, I have it, but I did watch the first two episodes of it so far. So I have started Newsroom, and I'm quite enjoying it. That was one where I watched the first one. I went, wow, this is a great series. <laughs> of course, I knew it was going to be because everybody said it was a great story, series. Yeah. But. Anything else? Uh, I watched. I finished the leftover season two, and it was phenomenal. Oh, I can't wait for season three. And I think it's because of Damon Lindelof. <laughs> the things I liked about Lost is because of him. The things I wasn't as pleased with was Carlton Carlton Cuse. I haven't seen Bates Motel, so I can't speak to that. But he did a Strain, and I still haven't picked up season two yet. So. We did go see Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. We really enjoyed it. And he wasn't part of that. And he wasn't. Rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like Star Trek. See, that makes me happy. Yeah. It it has it's not without its flaws or without its issues, but it's the it its strongest point is they get to be a team. Everyone gets something great to do and it's well balanced and they get to work together to solve this problem. The end is kind of eh, odd, <laughs> and the beginning is a little. Where is this coming from? But the rest is really good. Uh, and then I also watched Ten Cloverfield Lane. Ooh, and that was really good too. It's it's no Cloverfield for me, but it's 
one of those movies that you watch it and it it's sometimes uncomfortable and uh I've heard a lot of people use that word to describe it. It's like how was it? It was really good. It was uncomfortable to watch. Well, I mean, it's, it's a cast of three people in this bunker for the almost the whole time and you really start questioning uh, Howard, uh, I'm just John, John Goodman's Goodman. character, and because you totally are on the side of this woman, and then something happens, and you kind of go, "Well, maybe he's not," and then something else happens, and you go, "Well, maybe he is," and it's just you never really know for sure if he's this bad guy or if he's actually saving her life, and it's it's tense. Maybe tense is a bit a better word than uncomfortable because it's just so he's a he, he he's quick to anger sometimes and it's just so oh I don't know what's gonna happen next and then things kind of go off the rails in a really really well done way. All right, should we move on to news? Yeah, uh, the Lethbridge Stewart folks over at. Uh, Candy Jar Books have announced that there will be another short story coming out called Plain, The Plain Dead, written by a newcomer, Adrian Sherlock. The, the synopsis is, Lieutenant Bishop has survived a dangerous mission in Australia and is looking forward to going home, but he wakes up to find the streets of Darwin are empty. He seems to be the last man on Earth until from the shadows comes a strange creature. The dead are walking and they want Bishop. But Bishop has more to worry about than just himself. Where is Anne Travers? Don't do it. (laughs) Uh, So this one comes with, I believe, Grandfather Infestation. I know it's it's set after Grandfather Infestation, so it might be coming with the book after that. Because there is no short story between... uh, Which one we're reading right now? Showstoppers. Showstoppers and Grandfather Grandfather Infestation. Infestation. This one follows that. If I remember, if There's I no if I read that correctly, the huh. nope. Oh. There'll be one after. Andy, <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> You're confusing me. You, you can't pull the rug out from under simpletons like me. <laughs> Just, you, you can't establish a pattern and then take it away. I'm sure it'd be it, c- cool. it comes with grandfather infestation, so it just is set after the. Fact. It's not like you're getting you're not getting a short story with grandfather. No, no, you're no. I said I mean the, the short stories are great because the short stories are. I mean, it's a bonus content anyway. You know, it's, it's not like it's not like I've come to expect it, <laughs> but I've come to expect it. <laughs> uh, our next bit of news. Uh, uh, we should mention. I want to bring this up because uh, we talked a little bit about Day of the Tri- Triffids one week and somebody said something about Night of the Triffids and I was surprised that there was actually a Night of the Triffids. Uh, and Andy did message us this week and uh, tell us uh, that... No, I can't find it. Oh, because I got all this for any night. Who is stuff ahead of it? <laughs> uh, Simon Clark's book is actually on BBC Radio 4 right now. And when he... Uh, Simon actually messaged us and said, yeah, it's on there for another eight days. That was a few days ago. So if you want a chance to listen to the uh, audiobook version of Night of the Triffids, which was written by uh, Simon Clark, uh, be sure and go there and listen because you'll be able to get and where, it. And where, where do we go? Uh, BBC Radio 4. BBC so, Radio yeah, 4. So we'll uh, 
Um, and you'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah, I'll actually that would be do cool. that. It'll be easy uh, to track down. But thanks, Andy, for the heads up on that. Thanks, Simon, for uh, letting us know that it's still going to be there. So, yeah. And uh, I'm going to truck off and make sure I get to listen to it. it drops <laughs> off there because I, I love the movie Day of the Trivets. I've never read Day of the Trivets. Obviously, I've never read Night of the Trivets. But um, I, I love the movie, and so now I want to I read or listen to the book. So. Yeah. Uh, this bit of news is kind of odd, but kind of neat. Uh, if you got 2,000 pounds, you could buy a life-size replica of Dalek Sec. It's on the auction block. Which one was Dalek Sec? The black one. From season 2 or Army of Ghosts. Cultist and there. Okay. But, oh, what, and the evolution of the black Daleks. One in the cult, cult Which one went nuts? That was Dalek the, Khan. The, that was Khan. Okay. Sec was the one that evolved, right? Well, that, I guess that's my next question. Is it a Dalek or is it a guy in a suit with a funny rubber head? No, it's which like, model am I it's kidding? The Dalek. No, it's it's the Dalek. It's the Dalek. Yeah. Comes apart in like three different pieces. I would totally travel. buy that if I had two thousand pounds. <laughs> I do not have two thousand pounds. We could go together. That would be pretty impressive, right? What's two thousand pounds split three ways? In U.S. dollars. <laughs> well, now it's cheaper because yeah. <laughs> see, now's the time to <laughs> do it. Pound is tanking. All right, what are they doing? Thanks, dollar. Brexit. What's the transfer rate now? Dollar forty-five against U.S. dollar, somewhere around there. Dollar fifty. <clears throat> While Glenn looks that up, he's continuing <laughs> well, to tell me. I don't have to look it up. Uh, I don't have it either way. <laughs> if you cast, I don't mind. even have it. A third of that. Just, just go to Google. <laughs> I don't even have a third of that. Just so it doesn't, doesn't make any difference whether we can split it three ways or not. I'm not putting my money into it. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you cast your mind back a couple of weeks, we had the uh, <laughs> the dumb rumor of Matt Smith returning as the Doctor, unregenerating or whatever. Uh, so, oh he, yeah, that room. He recently uh, talked to the Guardian, and, and they asked him about it. He said, "No, it's not true. I miss everything. I miss Stephen. I miss Karen. I miss Arthur. I miss Jenna. I miss tra- time traveling, and I miss my friends in Cardiff." But onward goes the march. It's Peter's Tardis now, and I love what he does. So I watch as a fan. So there you go, nail in coffin. If you see it on Facebook, squash it. <laughs> So basically we read that so we could say, told you so. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) And then our last bit of news. This just in, Traveling the Vortex was right. (gasps) Uh, Our last bit of news is a convention guest announcement. Uh, At Kansas City Comic Con coming up in August, Julian Glover is going to be there. I was so excited (laughs) to see that. Because he was at Galley this year, and I was really momenting the fact that, oh, I mean, yeah, John Hurt, but come on, Julian Glover, <laughs> and I wasn't it's there. It's going to be really well, hard to choose. Well, that was just a twist in. of the dagger when they said Julian Glover. It really was. It's going to so. be really hard to choose which picture to get an autograph from. Let's do a collage. What's the hard, <laughs> hard cho- choice? Well, because you could do Donovan, Revere's. You could. But then you got either... Say, say his name again. Scaramanga, or King Richard the Lionheart. No, I, I, I do either. King, I'm, I'm I do, I do, I would do a collage of, of Richard and Scaramanga. Yeah, that, that would be a good one. Am I saying that right, Scaramanga? That doesn't sound right. That no, doesn't sound that right. sounds like man with a golden gun. Count Scar. Yeah, that you're right. Uh, Count Scariagli. It's scary ugly because he's got a thing on his face. Um, 
Scaramanga is Man with the Golden yeah, Gun. Yeah, Man with the Golden Gun. So um, I'm thinking of. Scaroth. And he was Scar- not in no, that, no, he, but he Scarleone. was in For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> Scarleone? Scarleone? S-C-A-R-L-I-O-N-I. Count yeah. Scarleone. Yes. Who Scar- was a Scaroth. Scarleone. Yeah. Yeah, the Scaroth. <laughs> Scarleone. Yeah, Scar- Scarleone. Green face, dude. That's the one. Yes, him. <laughs> and and more uh, Game of Thrones viewers will know him as Grandmaster Pycelle. <laughs> is he doing? Uh, is I almost spoiled that. Is, he, is, is, is there a reason why he's doing? Uh, I don't conventions know. now. He's been doing conventions for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a galley earlier this year. <laughs> uh, That's it for news. All right. Let's move on to feedback. Uh, in feedback, we have Holly. She says, "Daleks in disguise, part two. Hey guys, I have to say that I enjoyed both Dalek movies, though I think the Invasion movie might rank just a little bit higher than the first. I mean, you have Bernard Cribbins as a companion in this one. So cool years later that he actually gets to be, actually becomes our beloved Wilfred Mott in the series proper. The scenes with the human Daleks were interesting, and just slightly better than the Daleks Take Manhattan ones. Plus, the going undercover as a human-controlled Dalek had me chuckling. Just do what they do, and you should be fo- just fine. An enjoyable romp. A little bit of housekeeping before I wrap up. Voting is going on for August Goodreads book choice. Still have some time left to make your vote. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thank yeah. you, Holly. So go vote and see what you want to uh, read for August. Up next in feedback, uh, we are going to read Eric's uh, Royal Blood review. <clears throat> Uh, last week's, or last week's, last month's re- uh, book review. Am I saying that correctly? Last book, month's book, book, book for the book club was Royal Blood. And we said we were going to get around to it. And Eric had sent some feedback on it. So uh, we've decided we're going to get to it. And so here's Eric's review. Uh, the entire time I was reading Royal Blood by Una McCormick, I kept changing my mind about it. While I never found it boring at any point, I'm also not sure I loved it. Initially, I found the author's choice to switch between the first and third person perspective to be an odd choice, but I suppose we should throw out the spoiler flag at this point, too. If you haven't read yeah. it, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Royal Blood, which was last month's book club book. That's why, that's why I went to say that. Um, sorry, Eric. Let me get back here. Um, switch between first and third person perspective to be an odd choice, but I adjusted to it and even embraced it after only a, few, after only a short way in. The characters in the story are intriguing and fairly well realized, the story unique, an alien planet historical, and honestly, by the halfway point, I was convinced that I was really going to like this book. Unfortunately, in comes the third act, and the intrusion of the glamour, in the form of Lancelot, and I can't help but feel that this was the whole portion of the story was forced in to make this story the introduction to the Glamour Chronicles trilogy. It didn't feel organic to me, like perhaps this was a narrative that McCormick had already worked out, and at the publisher's suggestion that it be added to the Glamour Chronicles, it was tweaked to include the Lancelot Grail Glamour subplot. I don't know if anyone would agree, but I think the story could have stood on its own without any of the third act as it was written. However, I suppose that would have made it a historical of sorts, by being that most of the sci-fi elements would have disappeared. It still would have had the destructive technology that was eating away at Varus. It would have been at a more powerful ending to have the Doctor and Bernhardt have made the discovery as the 
main plot device of a third act instead of what I'm dubbing the glamour insert. McCormick spends most of this novel very effectively building toward the climax when Conrad's forces will finally invade the lands of Beruz, and I feel like the Lancelot plot just steals the story's thunder, and tying up all of the plot lines seems a bit rushed and doesn't have the impact it should have. But what do I know? The number of novels I've written still stands at zero. <laughs> all of that griping aside, I still give this book a three-star rating because at the end of the day it was an enjoyable read and kept the pages turning. So I would say that I liked the book. However, I cannot say I loved it, as it was just too badly flawed to end up on my hypothetical favorite shelf. I'm going to put this to the Goodreads discussion. I'm going to post this to the Goodreads discussions page as well, just in case you start reading it there and thinking, "Hmm, this sounds rather familiar." That's all for now. I'll be more touch often. Hope you guys have a great week, and thanks for doing what you do, and thanks for taking the time to read this, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. And I'm going to go ahead and read out real quick Amanda's review from the Goodreads thread. I thought Royal Blood was pretty good, especially compared to Big Bang Generation, which I thought was kind of boring and all over the place. I like the compulsive following and obsessive obsession of the knights, and the rem- remnants of technology were, was very cool. All told, though, it was so madcap, I half expected the Scooby Gang to show up and unmask everyone. Almost, Most of the story was a bit dull, and the ending of the knights was hyper-bizarre. Well, I think we've decided, uh, I think we've kind of landed on how we're going to do some of these uh, book club books. Uh, I think what we're going to do is each of us, each week or each month, is going to perhaps choose one. And uh, I drew the short straw, straw this month. <laughs> and we're going to do a little mini review on the show. And so it'll, it won't be everybody's perspective on the book because Keith and uh, Sean have not read it yet. But uh, I did uh, get it in this week. And uh, I'm going to do a little mini review here. And uh, it won't go on too long, but... Uh, the Grail is a story, a myth. It doesn't exist on your world. It can't exist here. The city-state of Veruz is failing. Duke Aurelian is the last of his line. His capital is crumbling, and the armies of his enemy, Duke Conrad, are poised beyond the mountains to invade. Aurelian is preparing to gamble everything on one last battle. So when a holy man, the doctor, comes to Veruz from beyond the mountains, Aurelian asks for his blessing in the war. But all is not what it seems in Veruz. The city guards have lasers for swords, and the halls are lit by electric candlelight. Aurelian's beloved life, Gwenna, and his most trusted knight, Bernhardt, seem to be plotting to overthrow their duke, and Clara finds herself drawn into their intrigue. Will the doctor stop Aurelian from going to war? Will Clara's involvement in the plot against the duke be discovered? Why is Conrad's ambassador so nervous? And who are the ancient, wary knights who arrive in Veruz, claiming to be on a quest for the Holy Grail? I kind of land somewhere maybe in the middle of those two because it sounds like Eric liked it except where he felt like the uh, the glamour thing was kind of shoehorned in, which I kind of see his point of that. And I think Amanda was way – she really, really liked it, but she didn't like Deep Time, which I think is weird because – Oh, she didn't like Big Bang. Oh, she didn't like Big Bang. Okay, that's fine then because I, I was going to say coming to it having read the end of this trilogy, which is Deep Time, I completely loved uh, Deep Time and have not read Big Bang, so I don't know anything about it. This was a strange story because it, it sets up really intriguing because when they sit down on this planet, uh, they're in the land of Ruse and they come across this city that has basically 
uh, uh, technology that shouldn't exist here. So you kind of get the impression that there may be kind of a society that might be in the Middle Ages at this point, but they have lights, they have laser swords, they have things, and you find out later that they have these things, but they don't know what basically how they work or how they were constructed or anything. And so there's this real mystery set up, and uh, it's kind of intriguing that we've got this duke who is basically this, the kingdom is on its last legs. Uh, it's about to go to war. It's crumbling around them, and there's a man named Conrad on the other side of the mountain, and he's about to invade because this will be the last area that he's been able to vanquish. And uh, the story kind of trundles along for the most part and is, is a, just a, interesting enough to keep you going. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be a lot happening, and it's 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 kind of convoluted on what's going on here. The mystery's almost held on almost a little too long. But uh, it goes along, and it kind of explains itself, and we know Conrad's coming. We know that the, the, the Duchess wants the Duke to kind of secede and say, you know, give up. We, we, we know we're at our end. And the Duke is this real, like, headstrong, no, we're going to hold Ruse and we're going to fight to the very end. And then we've got Bernard, who's this, he's, he's, they've been great friends for years and years, he and Illyrian, the, 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 the Duke. And uh, they've been great friends for years, And he, but he also has, you can tell, maybe a, a behind-the-scenes relationship with Gwenna, which is the Duchess. Uh, but they are both pulling for... Uh, uh, some sort of concessions with Conrad in order to save to keep the kingdom from basically being conquested, uh, but it it really does kind of it 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 all kind of trundles along until Lancelot and his knights show up seeking the Holy Grail, and it's at that point that you're like and the, and and the the really cool part about this story is every time somebody questions could the Holy Grail be real could Lancelot be real. The doctor goes into robots of Sherwood, robot of Sherwood <laughs> mode. Robot. It's just a story. It's just a story. <laughs> it's not. Re- he, he's, he's really adamant every single time, and I really kind of like the fact his adamancy of no. I mean, it's very much in line with the twelfth doctor. Uh, Claire, Claire ends up being kind of this uh, unwilling spy for for Gwenna and. Again, the story kind of just trundles along until Lancelot shows up, and then it seems to go off the rails because Lancelot's crew starts to enamor uh, the Duke, who then sends his best knights, who should be there to defend Verus, off on the quest with Lancelot to find the Holy Grail. And the Doctor and uh, and uh, uh, Bernhard... In order, who basically are subject to to uh, uh, banishment because of the fact that they were uh, behind the Duke's back, kind of you know working against his ambitions, end up going with Lancelot, and you find a little bit about Lancelot. But the big climactic ending, which I don't want to give away, is sort of kind of what uh, Eric was talking about. How it really kind of feels like. There's not enough developed with what <coughs> Lancelot and his group are, who, what they're going for, and why the glamour is suddenly just seems to be crushed, crushed into the middle of what seems to be kind of a coherent story. And it, it, it does, by the time you get, you almost think that, the, it, that, that it's a big part of the plot once Lancelot shows up. But once Lancelot is dispatched and his knights go away, we're suddenly back into this the 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 real crux of the story, the mystery of this technology that's behind it, and then you're behind the city of Ruse or the the land of Ruse, 
And it it really does now that he says that it feels like it's just kind of shoved in there. Like maybe he, they were they they he had this story and they said, well, we want to be at the it to be the first part of this glamour chronicles, and they give it to him and they, he goes, okay, well, I have to figure a way to put it in, and he does. And they never really kind of they kind of quasi explain why Lancelot and the knights show up, but they don't give you a real good definitive explanation for why it's Lancelot of the Arthurian legend. And you, you'd think I would be all over this because I love the Arthurian, <laughs> Arthurian tales. I love that story. But for them just to show up in this, on this, it's it's very clear that it's a different planet. It's not modern day Earth. It is, it is someplace completely different. And they just show up. And it is the Lancelot from the Arthurian legend. <laughs> and it is the Knights of the Round Table, you assume. You never name any of the other knights. But and do they have lightning swords? And they do not. They just, do not. They're, they're just basically they're basic knights. And it's kind of interesting that they kind of, uh, most of the time they leave their helmets on. And the doctor's thinking, okay, so they must be mechanical. So he scans them. And they're not mechanical. They're, they're actual life forms and stuff. But the doctor's got to unravel this. Mystery. Who is this? Is a, this really can't be Lancelot. This really can't be the Knights of the Round Table. And uh, they kind of go down that path, but they never really, the doctor's curiosity is never really satisfied. And he almost gives a, I presume it could be this by the end of it, which I thought it felt very on 12th doctor like the doctor wants to unravel a mystery. He's going to figure it out at the very end. Now, fortunately, he has another mystery that he's working on, and that's this technology that is far advanced to these people's means. And he does figure that out. So I suppose maybe he's satisfied in that sense that he did get to figure something out. But um, the glamour plays into this one really weird and, and really forced. And so I would have to agree with that. But uh, I think I ended up giving it two stars on Goodreads. I think I wanted to give it two and a half, but you can't. Uh, because it's not a terrible story. It's just one of those ones that feels like it should have been something more and it should have given me more enjoyment and didn't feel like it was just kind of trundling along. The inci- the excitement does happen when Lancelot shows up, but that story is so forced and thin that it doesn't give any substance to the rest of the story mm-hmm. that's built around it. There is an interesting story uh, surrounding Mikhail, who is the Duke and Duchess's nephew, and he was supposed to get the throne, but they felt that he <coughs> probably couldn't handle it because at the time that his father di- or his, his grandfather died, he was very very young. So that's why Arlerian takes care takes the throne. Well, when it's it's discovered that he is part of the plot behind the king or behind the duke to. Uh, and basically, really, all they want to do is talk to Conrad and, and concede to his his commands so that they don't end up being vanquished. And Aurelian is so you know he he's so taken aback by the fact that nobody's been supporting him that he banishes Mikhail. Mikhail ends up joining Conrad's army. So huh. yeah, it's and then we've got uh, oh, I've already forgotten his name because it's the, the most interesting Imphil, who uh, is this guy who's just randomly shows up. He's a collector and he's looking for something there but he doesn't really know what it is and then he discovers when he goes there that he thinks maybe it's the holy grail and you find out that the holy grail is really the glamour there's no grail that they've been chasing the glamour the whole time and he almost he's almost a vehicle for clara in order to do what she's doing within this mm-hmm. which is to leave the uh the land of Arus, infiltrate uh conrad's uh camp in order to give it a message to him that the duchess really wants surrender um but he is an interesting character that doesn't feel like he's developed enough because you don't get a lot of backstory other than he's a collector and he 
just really likes things and and it sets him up as this guy that knows a lot about everything but the things that he doesn't know a lot about he goes exploring and he collects or or barters or buys and he's mistaken as an ambassador for conrad's crew which the doctor and and uh, clara are mistaken for as well uh in the beginning of this story but his character isn't um explored enough i think for this this story so it's just all kind of middles along and uh isn't the best 12th doctor and clara story but it's okay so that's my mini review i think i come in underneath uh so so who's who's, one of the reviews said that it switches from first person to third person that's the other interesting thing i'm glad you brought that up because i I keyed on that too yeah eric said that the Third person, first person switch is odd because the first person narrative is from uh, Bernard. And I, I liked the way that, that the, the author does that. And in fact, if this whole story had been told from Bernard's point of view, it would have worked a lot better. Because it's kind of laid out in the beginning from Bernard telling this story that you really know what's going to end up. What what Maybe that's why it middles along, because you know what Veruza's fate is. You know what's going to happen to this land. Uh, because he's telling the story as the only one left, essentially. And so it's really neat to do that. But unfortunately, when the author decides he has to split up our characters, Bernard is at one lo- location and Clara's at another. So whenever we go to Clara's story or whatever Clara's doing... It's switched to the third-person narrative. Ah. And so it doesn't quite gel because you've got this kind of neat telling of this uh, Middle Ages-type character who is associating things to the reader in the way that he understands things, and that's neat. But then when Clara goes away, you get the third-person narrative, and it doesn't take away from what's going on. It doesn't necessarily... It tells the story maybe in a slightly different way because it's third-person, third mm-hmm. but... It doesn't work because you continue to go back and forth, and you almost want all of one or all of the other. And so I think that might have been uh, their problem with it as well. Well, they, I don't, Who was it that said Eric. Eric. Eric, yeah. So maybe Eric had a problem with the switch. I don't remember what you said. I do remember him bringing it he up. He said he thought it was going to be a problem, but he adapted. Uh, he, well, so. And I think you do. And I, 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 I didn't think it worked well, but it wasn't. It didn't get in my way, obviously, because it didn't. I didn't bring it up until the, at the end. But it was an interesting way to tell a story. So, do you think your enjoyment of the book would have changed not having read Deep Time first and coming at it backwards from the end of knowing what the glamour is already? I sort of thought of that, but I think that the, that Deep Time doesn't really. If Deep Time had done a better job of establishing it seems like the glamour is an afterthought in the whole arc of that story as well which i came to that thinking that as well now i think the glamour is better explored in deep time and it really does become the crux of the story in a way but never really fully there's there's no solid foundation for the glamour we still get kind of it it, it discussed in esoteric terms and so while it this kind of does the same thing, but does feel more shoehorned in. It's almost like the glamour was a goal for deep time, because it really is. But it's really this species that's been entrapped, and that's that was the crux of it. So maybe it, that's why I think it feels like it's shoehorned in. If I had not read Deep Time and known where they were going to with it, and what the glamour actually ends up being, perhaps I would have enjoyed this a little better. 
But again, the the story itself is interesting enough that it didn't need the glamour. So it just it it, it kind of tears away from what I think the author is trying to do there. So I don't know how to answer your question because <laughs> I don't think the glamour was explained well enough what it was in order for it to be more concrete in deep time because we had this whole other sub story going right. on and the glamour was what was the driving force and that's what drove uh the crazy guy that didn't like his mom yeah. at the end but when it's finally divulged what the glamour is we still kind of get a superficial answer to what the glamour is and so the glamour is still sort of a superficial uh object or being or entity in this story as well so it didn't feel any different as far as that goes hmm. okay we just know that the glamour is something that everybody wants that's their greatest desire Setting and they don't the know why <laughs> hmm. i i strongly encourage you guys to read it i, I don't think i've given away i mean i i've spoiled a lot of it but i don't think i've given away especially kind of the nugget as to why the the technology is really the macguffin of it why is this technology there and what is it? And there's a lot more to do with it that I haven't talked about that I thought was interesting, was a fascinating piece of the story, uh, which makes it a little better, which is why it isn't a stinker, because while it trundles along, it does have a lot of interesting aspects. So I encourage you guys to get around to reading it sometime. And it, it does have me intrigued enough to, to go on now because I feel like I have a missing piece of the trilogy to read <laughs> The Big Bang Generation because I yeah. kind of feel like now I need to see I've read the bookends, let's find out what the substance in the middle is For what it's worth uh, Patrick Cavanaugh Sprawl on uh, what is this, DoctorWhoTV.co.uk briefly, uh, his review um, kind of came in right at the, the, the same level um, <clears throat> he gave it an 8 out of 10 and said it's clear the Royal Blood aspires to be bigger and bolder, but with such a short space to tell a story, it can't afford to be as complex as it would like to be. I think maybe that, like that, that, that's probably what it is. Is it, it really, it's, it's an interesting concept, but it, it maybe feels a little confined, and maybe it's even more so confined if indeed the author was required to add the glamour aspect to it. Then you kind of narrow the scope of the story again. So. Yeah. Well, I'm intrigued. I will say that. But I'm kind of with you. I enjoy Arthurian legend stuff, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's my... I'll have a date night with myself. I'll read this and then go see Guy Ritchie's uh, King Arthur when it comes out. There you go. All right, shall we move on to Daleks, Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. Did I get right? You did. Did you happen to watch the trailer? I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The Earth of 2150 AD is a desolate and hostile ruin of a planet, crumbling at the edge of, the, of civilization, slowly disappearing into the darkness of space. For the future of a planet now, planet Earth now belongs to the Daleks, a destructive army of alien invaders who have turned the human race into cowering slaves. Meanwhile, deep within the London underground, a group of resistance freedom fighters are planning an attack. But there's only one man who could possibly help them succeed in destroying their extraterrestrial enemies and take back control of planet Earth. A man of mystery, a man of time and space, a man known only as the Doctor. What? What? That's what this says. Really? It should say only as a man known as Doctor, Doctor who. who. I yeah. thought you saw me tense up I did and see change you. it. That was a misguided I didn't change thing it, though. There. That's a misdirection, I think. That's them trying to say, hey, look, it's actually Doctor Who, guys. 
Dun dun dun. I was trying to figure out why. Last week, I have seen Doctor Who and the Daleks so many times that I haven't seen this one. I had the same so reaction times. sitting down watching it for Friday. And it was like I don't remember well, a lot I, of this. I figured I figured out why I haven't watched this one. It's not as good as the first one. <laughs> it's not. It's. It's not as good. And I think maybe, I, uh, thinking back, I think maybe my enjoyment of Doctor Who and the Daleks is now because it's so much like the story. The because Daleks. it doesn't deviate as much. When you watch this one, it deviates quite a bit. And what they did in this one worked much better for a film. What I they do so on too. TV works so much better for a television series. Yeah. However, I just think there is a lot of... There's a lot of good aspects of this, and I do enjoy this film. But there's far too much split, which they do this in the series too, but there's far too much of our split the action up among our characters, divide our characters, give them interesting things to do on their own or with their own little teams, the people they meet up with. There's too much in the middle from the uh, the big uh, incursion or, or, or uh, not incursion, uh, the insurrection. Yeah, the, the resistance, and then when we finally get to the mine, there's too much to me padding or, or drawn out. They try to make it interesting, and I think in some ways they do, but overall I felt like I was getting kind of bored in the uh, adventure to get there. The, 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 the story to get to the climax seemed to be a little meandering at times. I could see that after... Uh, they escape the Dalek ship, and Susan's off with what's his face, and and uh, Tom and uh, what's her face is in the Dalek ship and getting transported. And I, I could kind of see that once we and got David is with the Doctor. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> it's a better film than the first one. Sure, you I, I have something to support that. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Um, I, I will give you padding only from the standpoint that Tom's misadventures in the ship, oh, where, he, where he becomes that, a robo man. That's fine. Well, it yeah, works. It's and funny. It's funny and it's good. But I enjoyed it's, that. But it is padding. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That 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 whole scene, as wonderful as it is doesn't really need to be there it no, serves no, no purpose to the doesn't. narrative and it, it it's padding it out to get to that movie length other than giving them see, see, to see the the garbage shoot to escape that's the only thing i that would bit i would rather have that comedy and lifting of brevity in there as padding rather than susan and the Gibby guy, uh, the guy with the leg, <laughs> and the guy in the chair who do the failed. Well, the, the guy in the chair does the failed resistance with the bombs. Yeah, and, then and the Daleks keep coming and sacrifices and, himself, and the escape in the which is interesting truck, which I think was fine. It, it kind of shows us they they got out of the city and they were on their way to the mine. The problem that I have with and it's very clever that he realizes to get her and him out of the car and the blow up the explosion's really cool. That's good, but that felt like padding. I don't think we needed that. We just needed to know that Susan and he escaped. The other thing is, then they yeah, come up against... run into Daleks with the truck. Well, and that was okay. <laughs> I, I think It wasn't even a big truck. It was like a, a, a smart car of trucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was like this. And, and compared think, to how they destroyed it in the actual serial. I think that's fine, though. Let's have them get in the truck, escape 
face the Daleks, and that's how we get away. We run through them. We get that moment. I also think coming across the couple, I mean, there is, there's story building there, and it feels necessary, but it still also feels like Penny. Penny. The, the woman and the, and the man and the, and the girl, and they feed them, and they help them out, and then when they give them a place to sleep, and then they double-cross them to the Daleks. That just felt kind of drawn out, too, and it's a moment that I feel like, okay, well, it was, it was needed because it's that uh, uh, deception, but... That could have gone, gone that, away as well. That's a moment in the serial that feels like it could I have think gone away with the, too. The, the interesting thing about that, though, is we ha- – yeah, I, I would agree as well. But the, the thing that I think is interesting, we've got those couple who double-cross the Daleks. We've got the, the guy that's dressed in a suit for some reason, for, for crying out loud. <laughs> the Earth's been invaded and London is in decimation. Why are you still dressing up? I realize that he was making deals with the Daleks, and obviously he was going in and selling things to the miners. And I guess he had, was some semblance of still having a businessman or a salesman presence. Maybe that was just because psychologically at work. <laughs> but I almost that that little climactic thing could have been better without having been drawn out so much as as well. That being said, I don't think you could have got a full hour and a half out of a film without that stuff, but it just feels like there's a lot of lull in the action, maybe, is what the, the problem with it is. And we do it more for story development and less for keeping me interested in what's going on and the, the excitement, the, the Daleks. The Daleks really sort of feel like they're heavy at the beginning and they're heavy at the end and then there's very little maybe that's the problem because I like Daleks so much <laughs> there's very little Dalek in the middle and I don't feel any I don't feel a threat from the Daleks which I should from a movie called Dalek Invasion Earth suddenly you're made, the, the threat is from the humans that are taking advantage of their situation and so that to me was felt unnecessary but see and I, I found those things interesting and kind of maybe because of 10 Cloverfield Lane and the tagline of Monsters Take All Forms. I I found that interesting that it's an interesting exploration that even in this alien invasion, there is still the humanity that's not uniting and turning against each other. I would agree with that, and I think that's where they were going with it. I think that's what they were trying to do. There may have been too much of it for you. It felt unnecessary at points. You just, you, you missed out on, you know, Daleks invasion Earth 2150 AD. The invasion already happened. It did. It, it should have been called Daleks occupation Earth yeah. 2150 <laughs> AD. Then you'd have been okay with this. Yeah, uh, I, we, I think that that it's 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 not that I don't think that those parts are good because they are entertaining, they're enjoyable, and I'm not putting that down. I'm not saying strip all that away and just give me the two Dalek parts because that wouldn't make a good movie. That it would just be. That'd be one episode of a regular Doctor Who. I think the, the the problem I have with it is that then I compare it. I guess more it's more of a why I compare the first film is better because there's there are there are moments of action. The pacing of it is so much better. There's a lot more going on. There's more resistance going on. There's things like that, and we don't have to do all of that story development because mostly because it's all one location too. We don't have to get from one place to another. Yeah. It's all there. It's just a matter of how you get back into it. So I think that, that that's why I enjoy the first one more. Uh, I think it, the, the first one's more colorful. This one's it, kind of muted. I was, was going to say, this one doesn't have as much of that 60s kitsch romp that the first one has. Yeah, which I, I think they try to do. But unfortunately, when you're talking about an invaded Earth, you kind of have to it's have that post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic yeah. visual as well. Whereas where you have... Even though it's post-apocalyptic on the planet Scaro, when everything is done in the city and you've got all this bright, shiny when, mechanical when it's stuff, alien, exactly, it can it, make it, it feel makes kitchen. it work better. Um, 
But I absolutely love Tom on the on the ship. I think the performances <laughs> of Tom, he was absolutely the best. The part. Doctor and Susan are all top notch. The guy that was that Susan was with, and I forget the gentleman's name, but the the character's name was phenomenal. I thought the guy, the the professor in the wheelchair, was a bit kitsch. Not kitsch. It was a bit. Uh, that's the wrong word for it. A bit trite. But it was almost necessary as well. But I didn't think his performance was stellar. I thought David was good for who he was. I felt Luis was just kind of there. That yeah, was, that was another she, problem she felt really that. underused, yeah. especially considering. Uh, I don't know if you guys rewatched the actual Invasion Earth story before this. Barbara gets so much to do in that compared to what Louise gets nothing, yeah. and it's just so pale in comparison. When when you had made the comment that. Oh, wait, is that Barbara? Oh, wait, no, it's not Barbara. Who is this person? And I looked at her and went, oh, you're right, that's a different Barbara. Oh, it's not even Barbara. And and so then my mind opened the filing cabinet, went back, and I was like, oh, right, somebody's got to fall in love with David because Susie's way too young. <laughs> and we didn't get that subplot at all. And we didn't get that subplot at all. So I was the like, doctor also didn't go unconscious for, like, 30 minutes. <laughs> I... I laughed so hard to myself. We're watching this, and I almost tweeted it out. I probably should have. I didn't have time. When the one of the opening scenes where uh, Wolf is uh, where, <laughs> Tom, Tom. Where, where Tom's walking along on his beat, and he stops and he looks in the window of the travel agency, and it's a poster for Spain. And I went, the doctor's on holiday there right now, <laughs> <laughs> or will be in about three episodes. <laughs> I just I don't know why That's I don't know if funny I didn't even I don't know if that was That's a direct great. or just a happy but I, I it's a it's a great place to go vacation. <laughs> um, uh, is it am I am I misremembering? I I thought that was this one that he had actually gone uh, on. Well, he did that 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 was, but he had gone. He had this was an un, uh, in Dalek Invasion Earth was an unscheduled holiday because he had actually injured himself on the set. And so he I was think, recovering. Yeah, that, oh, was that and that's what it why was. he went away to Spain it, because he was yeah. on recovery for a week. Ah. Interestingly enough, or ironically enough, Peter Cushing was actually injured and had to be sidelined for some time during the making of this film because he was also injured on set. Now, it's not as obvious in this one because you don't go a full half hour without him being there. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a movie. Switch so. to other films. Uh, he, was, exactly. he, he was on holiday while Tom was on the ship. So, uh, yeah. So um, interestingly enough, this was this also had uh, an injury to the doctor, and it was necessary for him to recuperate before he could continue film, filming as well. Does anybody know? I, I I noticed in this Cushing has this very interesting thing that he does with his hands, with the gloves. He's constantly putting those gloves on his weird purple knit gloves that looked strangely out of place, but yet still worked with his costume. And like he would sit down, they would fiddle with something, and when he had a prop, he would take them off, and he would do whatever fiddling and checking the map or pencils or glasses or whatever he was doing. And as soon as he was done, the gloves went back on. And I, I just thought, it, I don't, I don't know why I noticed it. I just thought it was a really interesting character well, tick, or maybe his kind hands of were cold. Or, or, you know. I think that I, that's the impression that I got was it was because it was a cold climate or a cold day or something because he doesn't put the gloves on until he and Dave are about to leave. And clearly they're going yeah. to wherever the mine was. I can't remember. They said the name of the, the town nearby. But uh, he puts the gloves on there. And he only takes off and puts off the, on the gloves when they're out. 
like when they're in the cabin, he does that. But the cabin obviously wouldn't have been heated well, but very then, well. But then so later, it's, it's not. It's not a. It's not like when he got in the ship, he kept taking the gloves off on and off. But he did. Once he's in he, the he, ship, he he takes the gloves off the one time, and he actually puts them in his coat. Right, and but he at, doesn't have the gloves on the whole time. At from the that point on. when he meets back up with the the injured guy who saved Susan. Yeah. And at at the mine site, yes. but they're indoors, not right. in the cabin, but they're indoors. And he had just taken them off, put them back on when he went outside at the cabin. Right. Uh, when he gets uh, captured, right. And then he gets inside and meets them inside the mine or wherever they're at. He takes them off to shake the guy's hand, but he's, he's and then still immediately in, puts he's it still back in the on elements, again. though. They're still in the mine. It's obviously still going to be cold. My point is, well, well okay. My, my point is that to me, itself, that's that's that. It looks that like was an just, interior, but anytime he's going outdoors, he's dressing for the occasion. <laughs> so I, I guess it didn't. <laughs> did it, you really just go there? <laughs> I didn't say dressing. He did. It did occur to me that he was taking the gloves off and putting them on, but it never seemed out of character or out of place for where he yeah, was. Yeah, no, 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 no. So if he had continued to do that at the beginning or on the ship then yeah i would have thought that was a weird maybe it was just cold then yeah that's that's what i chalk it up to because it would have been a weird character quirk had he continued to do that when he was out of the elements but every time that he did it i just thought it's cold out okay (laughs) i mean the guy was wearing a trench coat that ambushed him for crying out loud that was going to take him into the line and then double crossed him and then got his comeuppings. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest scene in the world when the doctor marches off. And the guy stands there for a minute, looks at all the Daleks, and then just darts back inside, <laughs> locks the door, and then kind of looks around like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> the ship looked good. The, like ship, the ship looked yeah. amazing. So, fantastic model. I, I, unfortunately, you could see the <laughs> strings from the crane, but it was... Yeah, there was I no mean, crane. It was there were no strings. Yeah, there was definitely strings. No, they built that full scale, and it flies. In that one shot, it <laughs> was definitely... The, uh, but overall, I thought the effects were good. I'm glad that they went with the fire extinguisher look again, because I yeah. think you could, it, 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 it works just enough that you don't have to put an effect in there, but you still understand that that's a blast that's going to explode, you know, cause an explosion. Or cause and it's, and it's really neat when... The wheelchair guy gets surrounded and just, and the smoke covers him, and you don't get to see him anymore. It's yeah. a, it's a really effective tool. It's a very effective tool to, to kind of, cushion the violence for kids as well that yeah, are that are obviously absolutely. a target for this film because it was right in the height of Dalek mania. And we got lots of exterminates in this one. Yeah, yeah finally, the, the <laughs> much better cadence to the speech. I thought uh, they higher sound, pitched. They as, sounded as Keith a had, bit more had, like uh, pointed out series. Dogs. Uh, and I wonder if that was intentional. In fact, we had I had forgotten last week attributing <laughs> a lot of stuff to, to Terry Nation, and I don't I can't I can't believe I forgot to bring this up because I noticed it last week. The script, the screenplay for both of these films are written by different people. They're not Terry Nation. They're adapted from Terry Nation's scripts. Interestingly enough, and I can't remember the specific screenwriters uh, for each one. But did you guys know, we'll obviously talk about some of the... Uh, Milton Subtosky wrote the screenplay for this. For this one. Uh, with con- contributions by David Whitaker. And David Whitaker was the one that we... Yeah, it's 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 he's credited who, who in the credits. You, who, who did you say the did, first one? Or he that wrote one? the screen... Uh, that Milton, guy is credited Milton as... Subtosky. He was the producer. Okay, so... But uh, David Whitaker actually... Um, uh, Attribute or not attributed, uh, uh, helped with the story on this one, and it is the Dave Whit- David Whitaker who was the story editor 
at the time of Dalek's Invasion Earth oh. on television. And also uh, one of our favorite novels that we've read. He wrote uh, Doctor Who and the Crusaders and also write the t- wrote the television story for that as well. And that is the same David Whitaker that was uh, uh, a part of that. A part of See, that now I really want to delve into these and find out was, I mean, not that, not that David Whitaker is not deserving of much praise as we've established. We, we enjoy his stuff. But I almost wonder if his role was, how do I want to put this, watchdog style? knowing that they were adapting these with BBC's blessing to a certain extent, that they were okay with them doing this. But maybe it was one of his jobs was to say, well, you can't you can't use him as a Time Lord. He has to be from Earth, or you can't do that. I, I uh, wonder if that maybe has a part of it. I really want to delve more into these we, now. And we find should out look more I, into it. I suspect it's, it's a... speculation at this point. I, I don't know. I suspect it was a David Whitaker was done he did on not, Doctor Who. He did not get any credit on Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yeah, he's he was not oh, part okay. of that. He was so, he he contributed to the, to, to the this one, one specifically. He did not contribute to the first. Oh, one. to he, the second to, one. This second one to Dalek Invasion Earth. This is a, what I suspect is he probably was not attached to Doctor Who anymore, and the production crew or the the producers of this must have asked him to come along as a consultant to maybe kind of make it feel a little more like the series. Yeah, and uh, like, it I don't think it was a the BBC transferring it over there to make sure that things were in line. I think it was the people producing it saying we should have David Whitaker on our team because he's familiar with these characters. I think is what it was, and we could we can kind of give it that feel that made it popular on the TV series. I think is what they were looking for. If I were to presume, because there were subtle changes, uh, the the TARDIS interior less. Yeah dangly bits hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and much more computer banks. Yeah, and it's a few years later, so he's had done had time to do some work. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, he realized what a dumb design flaw that, <laughs> that lever was. That giant handle in the middle of the room. Where somebody could trip on that and, well, we're going to get rid of that. I presume obviously. he saw the adaptation of the story in the comic that we reviewed last week and went, oh, that's a better idea. And he changed it appropriately to that. <laughs> Um, I, just, I, I thought I the outside of the TARDIS though looked remarkably different. The top looks yeah, different than the first story. I think this one is. Um, I, th- I mean, for all the things that you said of last week about the first one and being kitsch and fun and sixties and colorful, and you're one hundred percent right. It's it's all great. This one has those elements, but lacks too much of it. I think is the I, I, th- this one is toned down. Yeah. It, it, it still has all those elements, but it's just it's toned down a little bit, and maybe that's why I like it better because it. Feels a little more. Well, it does feel. It feels a little more. Who. It feels a little more, and it feels a little more uh, theatrical as well. To yeah. me, it makes it feel more theatrical, and part of that might have been because I think this one the stakes are a lot higher, and they are in the the, the the series as well. But I think the stakes are much higher in this one, so I think that's why that's dialed down a bit, and I think that that's why that's kind of pulled out, stretched out a little. Because if if you did this story in the style of the first one, I think. I don't think it would work as well because you're 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 fighting with those. We've got these stakes, but yet it's bright and colorful, right. and it, it just, yeah. it, those those two elements wouldn't. They're too desperate to to go together. Because I, Dalek I, Invasion Earth, for a lot of Britons, invoked that Nazi invasion idea. Oh yeah, and these are the Nazis that succeeded in invading. And so, by if you did the fun comic romp that the first one has a lot more of. In the film, 
that was still only 20 years ago that they had yeah. gone through that. So I think you had it to kind of bring that down really to the level so that it didn't feel like they were playing too fast and loose with the connections that it has to Nazi Germany. I think it's a, I think it's a better film, but not as fun to watch. Yeah, that's, that's maybe where it a good way down to it. I, 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 I would agree with that. I don't know that it's a better film, but I would agree it is a lot. It's not as fun to it's watch. <laughs> I think it's all—it's as good a film. I think I just the first one is more enjoyable. Maybe that's what it boils down to. I think it's as good. I think the production is as good. I think the performances are, are as good. I think the story is as strong. But the thing is, when you're comparing it to something that was already material, you it's, can't really say, <laughs> "Wow, what a great story!" When you've already said, "Wow, what a great story!" When you reviewed it, you know, as a television series. So I think production-wise, it's, it's done better. I think it just. Um, the climax doesn't quite work for me on both <laughs> on both instances. The yeah. the idea of stopping this bomb somehow destroys all of the Daleks everywhere. It eh, well, doesn't quite work for me. The, at least, or at least the ones in the area. How, it's that's, cool. It that's reaction, but it's, it, it stretches my logic a little too far. Let, let me put it this way. That is an issue that I had with Daleks Invasion Earth on the TV series. Because yeah. it gave me impression that the Daleks had invaded everywhere. Yes. The thing that the movie does well is it really never gives you the – it gives me the impression that this is the same group of Daleks that destroyed all of London. That this isn't, this wasn't a widespread – It there's wasn't several, an wide invasion. It, it is one faction of Daleks that have basically – well, they've invaded Earth. And the idea is they don't have to invade the rest of the Earth because they have found this one weakness the they and, and they're going to take the Earth away anyway. So it doesn't matter what anybody does. Everybody else is going to, you know, die and perish in the meantime when they take this planet. I didn't get that from the movie, but it helps. Fix or it. In, a, <laughs> but, well, in a battlefield Earth way, maybe there were lots of Dalek forces. We decimated the planet, I don't and these were you, the guys that were left. I don't and everybody think else you. I don't think home. you even have to presume that because the the movie just shows you the one ship, and that's it. Yeah, that's and so true. that's why this works for me this time because it is a localized event somewhat, and I thought that this movie and I, I going back and having read now because I, I did go back and to refresh my memory i didn't watch it but i did refresh my memory on it. it it is a little more clear now to me this movie makes it clear as to why it works the way that it does mm. better than the, the, the than the tv series i thought did in the fact that it had to go to a certain point and they were using the humans in order to dig down there because of the magnetism and by detonating the bond too soon created the magnetism that would pull the Daleks in. Yeah. Now I think it's a little too comic <laughs> in the movie when yeah. the Daleks are going you know and crashing through walls. The only stuff, thing missing yeah. was the Benny Hill theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that doesn't work for me as well. But I it, it, the, the the bomb aspect of it the the, the science of it I think I'm, is soft-sold in this one better than it is in the... Uh, it's sound series. enough, I'll be like, all right. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you're like... Is it this, is, was it the movie that had the, the shoot that they tried, that, that they redirected it with? I remember that in... Uh, yeah, I don't I think they did it both in, ways. Did they, I think it was in both. I didn't okay, remember I, it in the series well enough, but uh, I thought it was... It seemed a, like that last act was vastly different from the series. To me. Uh, like, like the same ideas were there, but how they went about it were vastly different. I think you're right. Different. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Of course, a large chunk of that last act is Susan and uh, David. So. <laughs> and, well, and the departure and everything yeah. like that as well. But. That <laughs> takes up like 10 minutes of the episode. I mean, b- bottom line, this is why this one is superior. There's no chasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, only, the chasm was only four and a half minutes of the film, the first film, though. Um, 
Interestingly enough, though, this one tanked at the box office. It did. it did not do as well as Doctor Who. And, in fact, they had a third film uh, planned, and it would have been based on The Chase from the TV series. <laughs> I can't see how that would have worked <laughs> well, as well. I think what they would Although have done Although it would have been a lot of well, fun. Well, they, would have had, they probably would have uh, drilled it down to uh, aspects. It probably would have well, been. Well, it was going to be versus the mechanoids, right? Yes. So, so well, it would have probably been more That would have been the aspect. climactic aspect of it. Is, and I think they probably would have used these, the, the first part of it, which was the planet they were subterranean. Because they had been driven underground. So no Frankenstein? No Frankenstein, probably. They mm. probably would have cut that That would have been the great kitschy moment Journey of the it. Journey the terror out and everything like that. <laughs> that would have been a great 60s Jeez, whoa, part whoa, of it. Whoa, 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 They whoa. probably would not have landed on the uh, Peter, top of the... Uh, hang on. Peter Cushing has Doctor Who facing <laughs> off against Frankenstein <laughs> and Dracula, <laughs> and they weren't going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I think they would have left that out. They might. They probably would have taken out the uh, put Empire... Put them in too many rights issues to try to deal with. <laughs> they probably would have taken out the Empire State Building, but I think they might have included the Mary Celeste part of it as well, to give it a three... Act chase. Yeah. yeah. House of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to write this film now, Glenn. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> and always refer to him as Doctor Who. And we could and cast, we could cast Peter uh, Cush. Oh. Oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> um, what else do you guys like? I liked Wolf. Yeah. I he, mean, he really is the standout part of this film. And not just because... Hey, man, Cushing's really enjoyable, too. Not just because he's Wilf. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's Grandpa Wilf. And, and, but he's been our He's so wonderful. And everything he does in this is, yeah. is, is, just, is just delightful. He, his, his bigger on the inside moment. His, you know, uh, getting conked on the head. His kind of acceptance with just rolling with it going, <laughs> all right, you know. <laughs> you know um, and still being... A police officer, you know, yeah. there's danger and grabbing Susie and getting her out of the way, and I mean, just step by step by step, he's he's just great. And of course, he has the great comedic moments, but then he's also the one doing the heavy lifting. He's yeah, the man yeah. of action in this one, so he gets to go down and uh, he kind of has the best of both worlds in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ian in the first one was kind of just used for the the comic well, relief. He's until the comic the release, and then, until the yeah, end. he's he's kind of the accidental hero, yeah. is what he is. Whereas Tom is more of a, a deliberate hero. Right. Uh, he gets the comedic moments, but he also is is deliberately the hero, action hero. And you're right, Peter Cushing is great. Um, Philip Maddock. As soon as you said that, I went, "Oh wow, it is!" <laughs> and I got very excited for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> so this would have been pre all of his Doctor Who yeah. stuff. Um. Well, this would have all been pre uh, uh, Wilfs. Stuff well, too, yes. so. <laughs> Both things. Um, yeah, just it's just it's just, they're just delightful fun. They just really are. And then you get to the end, and like I, I, I said on Friday Night Who that you know it's like Planet of the Apes in a Bond film, <laughs> and that really is kind of the it, it, these oh, yeah. both of these films remind me just in tone of some of the later Planet of the Apes films. They don't have the same weight that the first one has, but yeah. they're they're just fun to watch. And yeah. um, you know, you get to the end and they drop the bomb and it kinda rolls off on its own little <laughs> yeah. with a weird egg shaped wobble to it as yeah. it goes down the I thing. I think it's the it's like, the the most apt descriptor of it is is James Bond meets Planet of the Apes. It's really really a good 
descriptor of of the mood and the tone of these films. I think I think that's a real good. With maybe a little bit of Casino Royale is the one that pops into my head. Or yeah, Alfie I could see that. Or, you know those kind of comedic ones. And very satisfying watching Daleks fall down holes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it didn't bother me the first several times I seen the film. This time it pained me, and I think it was because I was looking at it as. Oh, look at all those Dalek replicas being destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> look at all those gorgeous props that are Not that out. I would buy one because I can't afford one. <laughs> one third of 2,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> they, haven't deci- they haven't destroyed the Dalek sec one. So. And it, when it goes over and knocks the little ear pieces off and they're clattering yeah, around on the floor. That's what the destruction was pretty impressive. <laughs> Not going through the wall. They go, ding, and it falls Somebody's have to glue those back on before they put them in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else about this you guys want to chat about? I think we hit all the main points for me. All right, well. Thoroughly, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. I'm glad we did uh, this. And happy 50th anniversary. Yeah, happy 50th anniversary. Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 A.D. And I think we should have a contest. I think you should go and watch the trailer and see and count how many times they say 2150 AD in the trailer. <laughs> Is that what you were getting <laughs> that, to? Oh, man, it was every other word. <laughs> 2150 AD. Some, in 2150 AD. <laughs> somewhere there's a ding counter <laughs> going off on this. Uh, if you're the, not guy, a, the guy came, did you say 2150 AD in the trailer? Yeah, I said it. Are you sure? I don't think you quite got the point across that this is the future. We don't want to spook anybody. That's you know, I said it. Okay. If you're not already supporting us on Patreon, uh, please consider doing so. All of that money goes right back into the show. If you are already a Patreon supporter, we thank you very much for that. And there's also some uh, sites that you can visit on our website, travelingvortex.com, that also generate a little bit of revenues for these shows. So please click through those links as well. And don't wait for the year 2150 A.D. <laughs> uh, if you can uh, find us on various social media platforms, uh, please do that as well. And you can find us. Uh, where can they find us, Keith? Uh, we are on Facebook, Traveling the Vortex. We are at Twitter, at Travel Vortex. Uh, the Goodreads Book Club, as we mentioned. You can always send us feedback, feedback at TravelingTheVortex.com or go to our website, TravelingTheVortex.com and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. And that will be sent directly to us. All right, is that going to do it for this week? Just a note on the schedule next week. Oh, we yeah. have uh, the greatest show in the galaxy for Friday Night Who, so some more kitsch in the form of uh, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy. Uh, and then uh, we'll be uh, reviewing uh, some candy jar stuff. We've got some uh, some goodness, The Band of Evil, and uh, Lethbridge Drew, The Showstoppers, so the short and the, uh, the new novel. Um, and uh, we will be reviewing those. All right. Now is there anything else left to talk about since I almost skipped the schedule this week? No. All right. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.